I'm Scott. And I'm Melissa. And we are the Sunshine Travelers. Our passion is travel and sharing our experiences with those who enjoy it as much as we do, or those who want to learn more about travel, or even those that just want to live vicariously through our travel stories. No matter where you fall along that journey, get ready to hear about our firsthand experiences as we visit some of the most amazing places on Earth. Today, we are excited to talk about one of our favorite international locations, London, UK. For us, London is one of those places we can visit over and over again, never doing the same thing twice. Well, that is unless we want to. If you've been to London before, don't worry. We're going to have some tips that will benefit whether this is your first visit or if you've been multiple times like us. So pack your bags, grab your passport, and let's get started on visiting London. Melissa, we're fresh off the plane from London, and as usual, it didn't disappoint. No, it did not. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we'll start from the point of getting to London. Um, maybe we'll talk about areas where to stay. Uh, we'll talk about things to see if it's your first time, um, places to eat, things to see and do maybe if it's not your first time, if it's your second or third visits, um, and then just kind of go from there. What do you think about that? I think that sounds great. So we actually got to London a few days before we had planned to. Uh, we were planning to fly into Heathrow and directly back out to go to Brussels. And with a flight delay and then having to collect bags, et cetera, we ended up in London a couple of days early. And I will say that's probably the one place I would have loved to have gone to Brussels and it's still on the list. But to say we could spend a few more days in London, like I wasn't sad. So Yeah, it's it's never sad to spend a little bit of time in London. And, you know, even this time, we managed to go somewhere in London that we've never been before. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the experience of arriving at Heathrow. You know, Heathrow um, or London Heathrow, it's about 10 times the size of Atlanta Hartsfield. Uh, if you're familiar with Hartsfield Airport and just remember you know, we grew up and lived in Hartsfield for majority of our lives. So a lot of our references may be about Hartsfield. And oh, by the way, it is the busiest airport in the world. But, you know, I would say size-wise, it is hum Heathrow is humongous. Yes. I don't know if it's the biggest airport in the world, but it is massive. And trying to go from one terminal to another is, it just takes... It takes a long time, and so that's something that you have to be aware of. Yeah, it's definitely not the most efficient airport in the world. No, definitely not. So, you know, we got into Heathrow. You know, this was a on our trip over to Europe uh, because we went to Slovakia first, and London was the second leg of our trip. So, you know, we got to Heathrow but let's talk a little bit about if you're going over and you're going, let's say you're traveling from the U.S. to Heathrow. Let's talk about it in those terms. You know, there's some things that you need to be aware of and things that you need to do when you get to Heathrow. 
Yes, so if that's your final destination and you're picking up bags and so you're going to go through the immigration process, which they had some automated machines, but they were taking forever and half of them weren't on and it was just, it took a long time. So just be prepared that when you get there, it's you've got flights coming in from literally all over the world and so just pack some patience yeah and you know maybe later we'll talk about if you're traveling through heathrow to get to some other european destination i think our um, our recommendation right now is give yourself two and a half three hours minimum in between flights because it definitely takes a while but you know We've landed now in Heathrow, and it's early morning because most of the flights from the U.S., you leave late at night, you do a red-eye flight, and when you get to London, it's early morning. Yes, so we would definitely recommend that you then are going to go into the city and that you take either the Heathrow Express or you take the public transportation by the new Elizabeth line. I would say, because it will, both of those will take you to Paddington Station. Um, and so basically it's going to funnel you kind of underneath the airport. It connects terminals two, three, four, five. So, and they will be telling you down there, here's, the, here's how you get the tickets to Heathrow Express. They have machines, they have people there, because not only is it probably cheaper than getting a car, a cab, a Uber, or any of those things into the city, but it's also going to be way faster because the traffic in London, you, you just don't want to drive and ride yeah. in, into central London. And so. I remember one of my first trips to London, um, I wasn't familiar with the underground. I wasn't familiar with the Heathrow Express. I took a cab from the airport. Oh my God, it took for forever to get from the airport into downtown London. And the price of that cab was was outrageous. So I definitely would not recommend anyone to jump out of the airport, grab a cab, and go into downtown London. There's far better, more efficient, and cost-effective ways to get there. And Melissa talked about Paddington Station. We kind of use that as a central location in London um, from Paddington. It's really easy to get anywhere that you want to go. It's on several main lines. And um, so, you know, let's let's start. So we get there. We're in Paddington Station now. We need to get from Paddington to our hotel. Yes. Well, and one more thing about taking that Heathrow Express, 15 minutes, literally, once you jump on that train and they leave every few minutes. And so they'll, you, there'll be signage or you can just ask somebody that's very easy to find to get to there. So, yeah, so you're in Paddington Station. Um, so a couple of options from there, really depending on where your hotel is. If you're tired and you're unfamiliar, that would be the place to then just grab a cab. They have like a cab, a taxi cab line um, to grab a cab. They all take credit cards now, which they used to not do, which was a major hassle. Or you can um, use an Uber. I would think from this station, it'd probably be easiest to take a cab. To it's get so much easier it, so. to take a cab yeah. from there. You can get a black cab. If you've never been in a black cab before, that's a bit of an experience as well. So just take the black cab. I think it would be hard to do an Uber from there. Yeah, probably so. We can talk about uh, taking it from your hotel later on. Um, if you're adventurous, um, go ahead and you could use the tube and um, venture out 
with that. But of course, you do have your luggage when you first get there. So um, you're tired. You have your luggage. Be a great idea to just get in line for that cab. Well, Take your taxi cab ride and get yeah, your Let's hotel. start there because you've flown all night. Chances are you didn't sleep well on the plane. I know I don't sleep well on planes, right? Um, and so you're getting into London. It's early morning. How do you deal with jet lag? Because you got to try to get on local time as quickly as possible. So because we have done that international trip so many times, we do have some tips for you that really help. Because if you're only there for, well, if you're only there for one or two days, it's going to make your life so much better. But if you're there for a week, say on vacation, and you miss the first two or three days, not miss, but just feel jet lag for the first three or four days, it just doesn't make your trip quite as much fun. So here's what we do. We typically try to go on to the hotel and um, I use a process it's on an app called Uplift, where you basically use these pressure points to reset your body's time clock. So again, the app is just in the App Store um, on the Google Google Play called Uplift. And um, so they've just taken this process and made it very easy to where you can input where you went from and where you went to, and it resets your clock. And we'll talk a little bit. Of, we'll actually we actually have planned an episode on how to combat jet lag. So just stay tuned. We'll give you that. But just know that when you get to London, you're going to be tired. Um, and so kind of recommendations at high level is grab just maybe a quick bite to eat, something light, stay away from the caffeine, go to your hotel, do follow these jet lag procedures that we're going to tell you more about in a later episode. Take a short nap. And it's really important that you just take a short nap. Um, don't stay there for a long time. When you wake up, grab a shower, hit the road, go out, get you some caffeine, get you some lunch, um, and get your day started and try to spend the whole day um, out and about in London because there's a lot of things to do. And so I would recommend probably that first day, though, not having like a tour book or a show booked or something where you have to make it by a certain time, just in case, just in case for delays, but definitely go out and you can do some of these things that we're going to mention that where you don't have to have like a set time and a set ticket and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, if nothing else, it is not impossible to walk 20, 25 miles a day in, in London. I don't recommend it. You're going to be exhausted, but uh, there, there's, it's such a big there's so much to see. All of it is completely walkable. Um, but, you know, you can definitely go out, go to the parks, get some fresh air. Just make sure that first day you're you're spending your day not thinking about being tired and stuff like that. So that by the time you get back to your um, room later that night after dinner, you can go ahead and get in bed at a normal time. And then the next day, I promise you, you'll wake up ready to go uh, minus the jet lag and you'll be ready to hit all the sites that we're going to talk about. Yes. And that is going to change your life. I finally converted Scott to this after a trip where he didn't do it and I did and it made a world of difference. So, so let's talk about where to stay. Um, what, what do you recommend, Melissa? 
So I would say for a first trip that you stay in that vicinity of Paddington Station so that you can take that Heathrow Express and then just take a cab and get very quickly to your hotel. In that general area, you're going to have Piccadilly, you're going to have Green Park, you're going to have Hyde Park. So you're going to have lots of things that are right around there. We've stayed there several times, so we'll put some links to a few places in the show notes that we have liked and enjoyed and felt like that they were in a good location. Yeah, and even this last time we stayed there in the vicinity of Paddington, we got up, we walked out of our hotel room, we went to a, a you know, park nearby, and we walked, and before we knew it, we were down at Buckingham Palace. So it's that kind of gives you an idea of where it's at and where it's located. And that way you can go ahead and see some things um, that first day. You can kind of tick off a lot of boxes that first day. So, you know, what are some things that a first-time visitor to London might want to think about seeing? Yeah, so I would say you definitely probably want to do one of those hop-on, hop-off buses. We don't always do that or recommend that, but that would give you a great way to be able to see a lot of things in the city. So some things you're going to want to go in, but some of the things you can't go in or there's nothing to go in. So, right, so you want to see Big Ben and you want to see the Wellington Arch and you want to see Buckingham Palace and you want to see a lot of these places. Um, So that would kind of give you an overview to kind of where things are. So I wouldn't really recommend that you get off a lot of places. You probably will have to get off. You get off and go see the front of Buckingham Palace and get back on, but you won't want to spend a lot of your hop on hop off time going to some of these places. So I wouldn't use it as transportation. I would use it on an early day to kind of get a feel for the city and get to see some of the big sites. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about much better ways to do transportation around the city, but to get the lay of the land, to see where everything is. And they also usually give you a fair amount of history along the way. So you you get that good general overview on these hop-on, hop-off tours. And later on, you're not going to see, if you're using the tube, the underground to see things because... It's underground, so you're not going to see where you're going. It's just going to be a fast way to get to and from. So So. we talked about Buckingham Palace. That's definitely something that I think any first-time visitor should go and see. Uh, That's where they do changing of the guard. You know, you see the the guards with the bearskin hats and the red coats and stuff like that. Um, And they're there 24-7, but then there's several times uh, a day where they actually do a changing of the guard and it's a formal ceremony and really something to behold but be be prepared there's going to be a lot of people at buckingham palace yes and i think only july you can go in so more than likely um you might not be able to go in it so it's just seeing it from the outside but you could check on uh, if you're there and you could check on tickets but and that'll be interesting to see with the you know with king charles now does he keep the same schedule as queen elizabeth so you know Stay tuned on that one. We may mm-hmm. uh, come back with an update later. Yeah, so I would also say that you really want to visit the parks as you walk around. So make sure you're not skirting by those. So there is Green Park 
and St. James Park, which are near Buckingham Palace, and then Hyde Park and Kensington Gardens. So just great places to just walk. Uh, a lot of them have little cafes or places to get coffee and ice cream. And so you can see the Diana Memorial Fountain. So just walking around and seeing local people and the dogs running around and stuff like that. Um, gardens, I mean, actual flower gardens, like it's, you know, like a botanical garden almost in some spot. So it's a great place to see the parks. Yeah, pack your camera because you're going to want your camera. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit when we discuss packing lists. But those gardens are phenomenal places to go around and, and take some pictures. You know, the other thing is in the gardens, you know, that's a great place where you can rent a bike in these, these parks and gardens, right? And you can ride all around those. And so, um, you know, just something fun to do, especially if you have, you know, kids that are old enough where they can get on a bike and ride as well. You know, that that's something they can do. Also, some of these parks are absolutely enormous. So, you know, riding a bike from one end to the other might be a fast way to get around. Absolutely. And you will never believe you're in the middle of the city, especially London, yeah. when you're in these parks. So that's a just a great, um, that would be a great thing for a first day as well. So you definitely want to go and see Westminster Abbey. And I would recommend for a first time visitor that you buy a ticket and you go actually take the tour and see it and see there's lots and lots of famous people buried there just to see all the history, and then, of course, the things you've seen on TV, the ceremonies that have been in there, the upcoming coronation that's going to be held there. And so Westminster Abbey should be definitely high on your list. And, and we talked about, like, Houses of Parliament, Big Ben. You know, those are things that you want to go by and see, maybe snap a picture of, but you're not going to be going into those. Okay, so all of those are on one side of the city. And so then let's talk about a few that are in the city of London, which is kind of on the other side of the city, and that is St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, you definitely want to see it from the outside. I would recommend for a first-time visitor that you go in and spend some time um, seeing that. You can climb to the top of the tower if you like that kind of thing as well. So that's Once again, seen. a lot of famous people throughout history buried there in St. Paul's as well. And then the Tower of London. So if you are into history, um, that dates from like the 1100s. It's amazing. They do some really great exhibits there. The crown jewels are on display in the Tower of London. So I would say definitely put that on your list. And I think that's where Henry VIII might have beheaded a few uh, wives there. Yes. And they are buried in the chapel there as well. So. Yeah. So... Recently, we stayed right near the Tower of London. It's somewhere that we've stayed a couple of times. Um, a couple of the meetings that I need to go to on an annual basis are right there. And so we spend a lot of time in that area. Um, but, you know, once again, you can either go and just see it or there's a tour that will take you through the Tower Bridge. Funny thing is a lot of people think that is the London Bridge. Yes, so it's the one with the tower that they actually painted blue for the last, the Queen's Jubilee, and a lot of people do call that London Bridge, and you're right, that's the Tower Bridge, the London Bridge is one over, and you can walk across it. It is absolutely nothing to see there. It is a concrete bridge. Um, matter of fact, if you take some of these tours, uh, there's a 
there's a London Bridge experience. It's it's fun if you don't have small children or if you aren't easily scared. But uh, you know, they would talk about things like that. Many people have bought London Bridge in the past, thinking they were buying the Tower Bridge. Right. So, you did the Tower Bridge this last trip. Yeah. So you recommend that? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, it's not there's not a whole lot to see. You know, there is one a couple of places where they've cut out the floor and you walk across glass, and so that really tests your nerves. Um, can you walk across that glass? Uh, I was scared, uh, scared to death, but you know, many people just stood there on the glass and took selfies and stuff like that. But a lot of history on the building of that bridge. Um, it took quite a while to do, and believe it or not, it still operates today in the same fashion as a drawbridge. And you can visit, um, in a different part of the tour, you can visit the engine rooms and stuff as well. Yes. So you might want to do some research and see if that's something that's for you, for you. And you can actually walk across the Tower Bridge on the bottom level just without a ticket. It's just going up on the top level yeah. if you, in order to, to do that. Um, so. There are a lot of stairs. I'll say that. It's, a, it's climbing a lot of stairs. Um, they do have lifts, though, so don't be discouraged. Um, ask about the lifts because uh, you could take those up as well. You know, so th those are some things that you can do. You know, one of the things that we would put on the list for you, and you, you literally could spend half a day or more um, at this location, but is going to the British Museum and it's free. Yeah, so the British Museum, so much. The I think the most famous things are probably the Elgin Marbles from the Acropolis in Athens, Greece, and then also the Egyptian um, exhibit. But there's and so isn't that much where the Rosetta the, Stone is as well? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. So it's been a while since we've been to the British Museum, but it's definitely worth um, just picking out a few things and going to see that. I think your um, kids would enjoy well. it. If you're if you're yeah. traveling with kids, I think they've got dinosaur exhibit in there. I mean, there's just so much stuff in that museum. Um, so then also sort of in that area too, Piccadilly Circus, Trafalgar Square, that's really just looking at or being able to see. So Piccadilly Circus, it's kind of like being in Times Square in New York, lots of shopping, lots of, um, and then also we would recommend doing the London Eye at least once. And, um, Scott had made a good point when we were talking about this is going at sunset if, um, if the yeah. weather's nice. Um, but if you plan it that, kind of that time of day to kind of end the day, that would be a nice thing to do. You know, London, London is Eye. one of those places that have a lot of rain, they have a lot of gray skies. And so, um, if it's a beautiful day, you definitely want to do the London Eye at sunset. And then, uh, you know, as a new uh, visitor to London, you might want to start testing out the use of the underground. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite things to do, um, favorite ways to get around. So the thing I like about it is there's so many lines. There's more than one option to get 
to different places. It's actually easy to use now. You can just swipe, just like tap your credit card, or if you have your, your wallet app on your phone, you can just tap that. They do have like cards you can buy that's prepaid fares. And then if you get off at the wrong station or you didn't get off or the trains come like literally every minute or so for the most part during the busy times of the day. So you really can't, um, you can't really get too far gone from where you're supposed to be. You can use Google Maps. They have an app. And the other thing that I mentioned to Scott the other day when we were there is that the thing is, is like you're not the only one who is not going to be knowing exactly where to go and what to do. Even local people, if they're going places that they don't travel all the time, they're looking at the map. So the maps are posted on the wall in the station, inside the the train cars, and then, of course, you know, we, like I said, we use Google Maps and, and stuff to get around. So, yeah. And let me tell you that that map is very intimidating when you look at it. But all you got to do is ask someone in the station and they'll tell you whether they work there or they're just traveling through. Chances are somebody can point you in the right direction. So don't let that stop you. And people ask us. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and then lastly, I would say, is if you're a first-time visitor to London, uh, maybe you want to check out a show. Yes. So it, it's like being in New York and being able to see the Broadway shows. Uh, you can buy tickets in advance on the different websites, but they also have a similar, like a TKTS, where you can buy last-minute shows as well. And I didn't realize this, but um, when I we saw a friend there this past week, she mentioned that it's way cheaper to see shows, too, in London compared to New York too. So that's something probably not on your first night because you're going to be tired. Yeah. But um, if you see something that piques your interest that you have been wanting to see, um, they're, most of them are right in the same area. So that's a great opportunity to, to see a show while you're there. And that TKTS thing, that's a great way to do it. Um, you walk up and see what's available for that night and they are at highly discounted rates. So, so that's what I would recommend if you're a first time visitor to to London. Now let's talk about some great places to eat or opportunities to eat in London. So if you're hungry in London, something's wrong because you literally, there's restaurants everywhere. And like I mentioned, even in the parks, um, also in every museum, all those sites that we talked about, a lot of them have really great cafes. So if you're like in the middle of the exhibit and you don't want to leave, like they, it, they have great food and great coffee everywhere. And if you're in downtown London, um, you have more options for eating later in the day. Um, or later into the evening. But as I said, outside of London, be very careful. Uh, it might be that the, the pubs, that they stay open later, but their kitchens close earlier. So just remember that outside of London. Inside of London, though, you can eat pretty much at any time in the, in the evening. So I would say that's probably still true of a pub a traditional pub, but there's so many other restaurants in London that you'll be able to find something to eat. So, but our other recommendation would be that you do need to book a table. A lot of places are small and you don't have to do it like way far in advance or anything, but it can be like a few hours before. A lot of them use the booking apps, but you definitely need to book a table. Even if something doesn't look crowded and you get there and they're going to ask you if you have that table booked. Yeah, um, just showing up is not a good plan in London. So, you know, let's talk about some different types um, of food. 
I think one of the things that London's very well known for is their Indian cuisine. Yes, and that's something that we always try to have when we are in the UK. So we found we really wanted something more authentic this time because there's all kinds like we mentioned, all kinds of restaurants in London. And so some of them may be more high-end or more fusion-type restaurants, but Drummond Street, we found some really good authentic Indian cuisine. Um, but then also they do have a Chinatown. So if you're up for Chinese food, you can go down to Chinatown. And that's that's one of those places that stays open really pretty late mm-hmm. is those restaurants in Chinatown. Um, we went this past time we did not book a table in advance, so um, it was one of those where we were just kind of rolling the dice a little bit, but there was plenty of uh, options for us. Uh, it was kind of late at night, and so we were able to grab something to eat, no problem. Yes, and the Indian place we didn't book, but maybe a, an hour or so in advance, but when we got there, it was packed out, and if we hadn't have had a reservation, we couldn't have gotten in, so... Uh, the other thing that, you know, from a foodie perspective, if you're a foodie, there are lots of Michelin-rated restaurants in London. Yes, I don't think there's any shortage of those um, as well. So we had the opportunity to eat at one of those that had an awesome view this time. So looking for, I mean, that could just be a whole experience is to have a different Michelin star restaurant booked every night in London. Yeah. And then, you know, I think... Um, lastly, there's there's two things here that I would say don't miss out on when you're in London. Number one, go to Harrods and duck into the food hall there. Just about anything that you want to eat, uh, they have it there inside of Harrods, as well as some very uh, extravagant shopping opportunities down to even maybe souvenirs for you to take home. You know, all of that's there at Harrods, but you know, that food hall, Melissa. Yeah, it's just fantastic um, food hall. And then I think there's like a whole chocolate hall. <laughs> and so that would give you a great opportunity to see Harrods and kind of walk through, but then also use it as a chance to get a bite to eat as well. So, And then and lastly on the, the food, I'd say don't miss out on fish and chips while you're in London. You got to have a proper fish and chips. Yes, and I would say probably at a pub, probably for lunch, unless you're going to have a really early dinner. I'd say that would be a great to like a find a pub for lunch and grab a fish and chips and a pint. Yep. So you know that's your your first visit. Uh, maybe somebody who has been there before on work, and now they're interested in going back for uh, a vacation, taking the family. Even let's talk about if if you're going maybe for your second and third visit, right? Because some people that we even know, they go to London and they do the same thing every time. Yes. And like I, this past trip, I didn't think that I would want to go to the tower again um, because I had seen it before, but we ended up with a pass to go do that. And so I'm glad I did because the exhibit there did change, but um, there's so many other things that you could to, you can see. Now, we're going to list off some of these, but what's funny is that some of these we actually did go on our first visit. Um, so I also wanted to mention here is that we bought like the city pass the first time that we went. And I think just trying to maximize the use of that and picking and choosing from 
those different um, options as well. So that might be something that you want to look at. And we'll link that, um, the London City Pass. It also gave you some transportation options and stuff too. So some of these we did the first time. Um, but I would say like we've listed the things like must see maybe. And then if you can fit some of these in or if you're going to go back. So Yeah. And, you know, like most really big cities um, in London, they offer the City Pass. And I actually would recommend it if you're there on vacation, right? And and you're going to be doing a lot of the activities that we've, we're talking about. Quite a few of them are on the city pass. So check that out uh, while you're there. And I'm actually um, making notes here because I we have forgotten places that are now coming to mind that we are adding to this list. Yeah, I'm looking at one <laughs> of them she just wrote down and our son would absolutely kill us if we didn't include it. But, um, you know... One of my personal favorite uh, places, and we we found out about it because of the city pass. I don't know that we would have necessarily gone there if it hadn't have been included on the city pass, but that was the Royal Muse. Yes, the Royal Muse was very neat. So it's right behind Buckingham Palace, and so it's basically the royal family's um, transportation and carriage collection, and you're able to see all of those things yeah so uh, we recommended it to a friend um, just recently and she went with her mom she was talking about they were getting the coronation carriage ready um, for the upcoming coronation and they said that in their planning for for this it's going to take a hundred people an entire day just to get that coronation carriage out of those stables Yes, that's unbelievable. So we actually thought about going to the Royal Muse on our extra day. We debated because we enjoy that so much. So definitely put it on your list. But we debated. We ended up going somewhere else just because we had been before. But that's how enjoyable it is. And you like Kensington Palace. I do like Kensington Palace. I've been three times. They change up exhibits as well. They do a great job. So Kensington Palace and the Tower of London and a couple of other places we're going to mention are owned by the Historic Royal Palaces. Um, And they just do a great job with the displays and the information that they have in the different um, apartments there. And so that I like that one. And then you're there at the gardens and they have a nice cafe as well. And I would recommend to anybody, and you could do this first visit or, you know, if you're going back for your 10th visit and have never gone before, is to go to the Greenwich Park. Um, So you can take a water taxi from, um, you know, say the London Tower in that area, take a taxi to Greenwich Park, and that's where you're going to find like the Prime Meridian so you can go and um, stand with one foot in the Eastern Hemisphere, one foot in the Western, um, and straddle that. Um, it's also, you know, that's where um, basically that's the beginning of, of time, I guess. And there's a lot of, lot of information. I think there's a Navy museum that you can go to and uh, right there at the Prime Meridian, and they'll tell you all the... Uh, background and history on on that yes and I think that would be just something fun for kids too that combined with the with the water taxi and then being able to stand in the hemispheres I think that would be a lot of fun so another place I have enjoyed is actually the portrait gallery it is also free and um, they just have 
neat exhibits there, like portraits from like Roy, like just the like the royal family, and then important people, and then they have um, like special exhibits that change from time to time. But that's just a place that I have enjoyed, just because sometimes art museums can be like so many portraits and so much information, and this one is. Um, pretty focused and then like like important notable people so i've enjoyed that one yeah and, and you can spend as much or a little time there you know like she said this is a free opportunity to go to a museum and um so the one that our son enjoyed so much is the churchill war rooms and when we did it it was on that uh city pass but just a neat um exhibit to go and see where and it's not like it stands out as oh come over here, here's the Churchill War Rooms. Like, you kind of have to know that it's there a little bit. Um, if you are a history buff, this is somewhere that you've got to put on your list of places to, to go and visit. Right, and one, I think it's kind of hidden away just because they need it to be a little bit secretive about where, you know, where it was, where the operations were taking place. Well, then, like but so, not now. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And um, another place that I sat here and added is the Natural History Museum. Um, I can't say that we have ever been there um, because there's so many other things, but a lot of people like to go to the Natural History Museum. Oh, maybe that's where the dinosaur exhibit was. And I do think that they have something at the um, British Museum. Yeah, maybe so. But the Natural History Museum is also where they do, they usually have an ice skating rink in the wintertime and stuff as well. So out in front of that. I would say, you know, if you're making your your second third trip into london you know this is when i would really recommend to start to venture out just a little bit right um yes there's so much stuff to see and do in london but also just in the areas surrounding london there there is so much that you can put on your list of places to see so quick train ride you could go out to windsor and see Windsor Castle, which was the home that the Queen liked very much and used a lot. And that's a great easy day trip um, by train. We So where we ended up going this last trip was called Hampton Court Palace. And uh, it was the home of, notably, I guess, Henry VIII had it, they had it renovated. He lived there with all his wives. Um, a few other of the royal family lived there, but we really enjoyed it. It was the inside and then also the gardens. The gardens. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. The gardens are amazing. There's a maze in the gardens that you can go through. The flowers, while we were there this past time, they were just off the chain. Like the tulips uh, were in, in full bloom. The cherry trees were starting to bloom. So, like, you can just imagine these really well-kept, well-maintained gardens um, were, were there um at hampton court palace yeah so we enjoyed that one again it, it's in the same uh, run by the same people the historic royal palaces as kensington as the tower of london and that's another one where you may want to look at it it may be cheaper if you're going to visit several of those it may be cheaper to like get a membership um, which is actually what we ended up doing which is why i went to the tower it was going to be cheaper to are almost as cheap to get a membership as to just go just to Hampton Court Palace. So this might be something that you want to look into as well. The other one that is just not far out of London, um, but it feels like your world's away, is also Kew Gardens. Um, and you can take the underground 
to there and just walk a short way from the station. So if you like um, botanical gardens, this is all, this is called the Royal Botanic Gardens, which is Q-K-E-W Gardens, and it is a fantastic day trip. Yeah, definitely take your walking shoes. You're going to do a lot of walking there in that garden, um, but it is well worth it. Um, plan to spend the whole day there. I really think you could spend the whole day there. Yes. And there's a smaller palace there. Um, and if you get that other membership that I mentioned just a second ago, they you could actually get a discount to Kew Gardens because it's part that that small palace is part of that group as well. Let's let's see if we can go through a few more here quickly. Um, so if you're traveling with children, the London Zoo um is a good place to go and visit. If you're a big Shakespeare fan, you can take tours of the Globe Theater, which is on one side of the river, or see shows there. Um, if you're into shopping, there's Covent Garden um, around the area of Harrods. Let me just say, there's no shortage of places to go shopping uh, in London. Um, Melissa, you know, and we're talking about all levels, right? Of anywhere from souvenirs and stuff like that up to the most, uh, most expensive shopping is there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, other museums as well that we haven't mentioned, Victoria and Albert, the V&A Museum, the Tate Museums, the Tate British, the Tate Modern. So there's no shortage of museums as well to go see. And then one of those places where you can just go and um, grab coffee and, and maybe a pastry and stuff like that, recommend going to Borough Market um, and spending just a little bit of time there. Yes, and also there's just all kinds of things there as well. Now that one doesn't stay open and a lot of those don't stay open for the evening. So that would be something that you would need to do during the day, but you can actually have meals there and all kinds yeah. of stuff as well. But um, Be prepared. There's going to be a lot of crowds there. Yes. Especially on the weekend. And then um, what if you wanted to have afternoon tea? Yes. So you may have wondered why in the eating section we didn't mention that because I think this deserves a category in and of itself. So yes, for afternoon tea. So a couple of different things. If you just want to go get tea, um, so you might want to go visit the Twinings shop, um, which is just a small shop in actually the very oldest part of the city of London. Fortnum and Mason is also a very popular tea shop. And there you can actually have afternoon tea, but you would need to book that. Um, the Ritz-Carlton is obviously very popular for afternoon tea, very famous for its afternoon tea. And then there's lots of other little cafes and shops that you'll see that where you can just go and have afternoon tea. Lots of hotels have them as well. So you might want to do some research. So I'm also going to link several places in the show notes just to kind of give you an idea, and then you can go and take a look. So I will say, though, that you can have afternoon tea that's like 30 pounds a person, and then you can go to places like Fortnum & Mason where it's like 100 pounds a person and then on up. So that could be a very special occasion place, especially if you add your afternoon tea with bubbles. Yes. Uh, you killed my joke there. I was going to talk about, you know, a cup of tea. It should just be a couple of pounds, right? Oh, <laughs> no, not necessarily. But I think that's an experience that you should definitely have. And if it's a special occasion, like book something, um, book something fancy 
just for fun or just have your tea, have your sandwiches and your tea and you get to experience the tea and the cakes. And And I think often like that is something that uh, the women go and do. But listen, guys, if you're traveling, uh, there's a lot of guys who will go and have afternoon tea as well. Um, It's just part of the uh, the culture there. So don't be afraid to jump in. Uh, the The sandwiches and cakes are yummy, so uh, you won't regret it. So, you know, we've talked about the tea. We've talked about all the different places to go. Now, how do people get around inside the city? So like we mentioned before, I think that the tube and the underground is really the fastest and most inexpensive way besides walking or riding a bike but besides riding a bike in a park I think you really need to be a local to kind of like be able to navigate the traffic and you're looking in a different direction um so like I mentioned briefly was using your phone and your credit card to to swipe in um you know using a, a, a navigator google maps or something like that and then um just you know asking for help and do you want to give some tips? Should we give some like brief tips about like how you how you navigate it or how you use Let's it? Let's do it. Okay. So typically what I do is I use just like put where I'm at and where I'm going into Google Maps. They also have an app that you can download to use as well. And so it will tell you, okay, go to this station and you're going to take, and it's going to tell you which line that you're going to take. And so then when you get in the station and you tap in your credit card or your wallet app on your phone, you're going to tap in and then you're going to look to where you're going to go to that line. So if it's Piccadilly line or it's Central line or it's Metropolitan line or whatever, you're going to go to that line. So then when you get there, you're going to look at, so they'll have like northbound, southbound, east, westbound, whatever. And you're going to be looking at like where the location that you want to get off that the app told you as well, where it falls on the map. And then, um, so, and then the, the biggest thing to be aware is the trains will say, this is a metropolitan line to such and such. And that will be the last station. So it may or may not be the last station on the line, but it'll be the last station that that train is going to. So you're fine to get on that train as long as your stop is before that. Yeah, and I would just say, we, we talked a lot about this earlier in the show. Don't be afraid to ask someone. But the underground is just really the most effective and efficient way to get around. But if you're going to go outside the city or a further distance, maybe the train, the above ground train line is a good option. Right. So the rails, it'll say overground system or the rail system. So yeah, so if you're going to go outside and with those, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to typically buy a ticket, but there's, um, and you can buy them on the, on the app ahead of time. Um, if you know, like exactly when you're going to go, but a lot of times these trains run very often. So you'll just go up to the little kiosk and you'll say, I want to get uh, a ticket from here to here. And then you just pay your money. Yeah. And, and I would say that if, if this is your first couple of times and maybe, you know, you're just coming out and understanding that um, you're going to take a train, uh, don't worry about having to book it in an app ahead of time. You buy those tickets at the station. You're probably paying a little bit more to do it that way. But um, in the end, it is an easy way to do it. The 
only thing I would say is that buying the ticket in the station through those kiosks is you can't reserve a seat on the train. Correct. And if you do it ahead of time, that's true. And usually that's not an issue. We just had one time when um, on Sunday, but it was after like their Easter holiday break. It was very busy. I think people are going home. So let's just say of these places we mentioned, the only place that you would take the train, we took the train to Hampton Court Palace and we took the train to Windsor. But everywhere else on here, including Kew Gardens, you can take uh, the underground, you can take the tube to get there. And then I would say if you're just going, maybe the weather's not nice. Uh, that's a, a definite possibility while you're in London. A cab can be an easy way to get around um, in short distances. I wouldn't take it for long distances. I would, I would definitely try to get on the underground and do that. But uh, maybe from your hotel to a underground station you can take a cab or you know something like that yes that's a very good point and then um you know for those of us here in the u.s we're very familiar with uber you can use uber in london i honestly you just don't really need it that much right because there's so many cabs the cabs take credit cards you know so you know you can use uber there's also an app called bolt uh, we used that in Slovakia on this last trip as well. It's like their version of Uber um, works the same way. But I, I, honestly, I think walking and the underground are the two best ways to get around in London. The only time we used it this past time, we rarely use it. The only time was when we got to Paddington, it was pouring down rain. We took a cab to the hotel. And then when we were going back to the station, um, it ended up being a little further than I thought. We had all our luggage. So we, I actually used the Bolt app and uh, just got us back to the station. Yeah. As far as tours, let me just make this really quick. On tours inside the city, there are definitely some places where having a tour guide is great and helpful because maybe they can give you some of the history and the background and help you walk through. I would say most museums have um, audio tours, which are good for that as well. But um, you might want to consider doing a via tour or something like that for some of the attractions. If you're going to venture outside of London, consider some day trips through companies, you know, to places like Oxford or Bath or Stonehenge. Uh, we've done Stonehenge before. It is a bunch of rocks in a circle, but you know, having a tour guide there might help you understand a little bit more history than that and help you to see it's a little bit more than just rocks in a circle. And you wouldn't otherwise be able to get there without a rental car either. Yeah. Um, whereas you could take the train to say Oxford or Bath, but it also might be nice to have a tour guide. So we will look and um, link some different tours that we would recommend in the show notes as well, both inside the city of London and then some trips outside, because you could also do them to Windsor if you didn't want to, you know, take the train and you wanted to have a guided trip. From a money perspective, um, you know, take a credit card with you that has the tap feature um, you'll also want to have one that has no foreign transaction fees. Almost everywhere in London, you can pay for anything by just tapping your card. You really don't need to have cash. 
I recommend having um, a little bit of cash. By the way, they're not on the euro. They do use the the pound, you know, easy enough. Take your ATM card when you get there, uh, get some pounds out of the ATM. And that you're going to just use that for maybe at a restaurant because you don't, you don't tip at a restaurant. It's not added. The gratuity is not added onto the bill um, like we're used to in the U.S. where you write in a gratuity. And it's common just to, you know, leave some, some beer money on the table. Yeah, so it's not, you don't tip like you do here in the U.S., um, but if you wanted to leave a little bit or you need a little bit for um, luggage valet or just people at the hotel or yeah. things like that, having and, a little bit of you cash. Know, the, the tipping thing, just a little bit more on that, is in, London, in, in the U.K., they pay, um, they don't pay wages like they do in the U.S., so in the U.S., your servers are very dependent upon those tips um, for their wages. But in the U.K., they get paid an, an, a normal wage, and so tipping is not necessary. Um, we talked about uh, Heathrow Airport earlier in the show. Uh, just a few things to add there is that there is a free train that goes between the terminals. So if you come in on one terminal and maybe go out on another, there's a train there. I would say eat before you go to the airport. Um, although there's coffee station or coffee shops and stuff like that, getting a meal before your flight may not be possible unless you give yourself plenty of time uh, to go to like a lounge or something like that. Definitely don't carry a bunch of liquids um, in your bag. I don't know what it is about London Heathrow but they are fanatical about liquids and plastic and using their plastic bag. Um, we saw so many people holding up the lines because they would get up to the, to the security checkpoint and um, you know, they're moving stuff around inside those bags and you're having to unpack your bags and try to remember everywhere that you've stuffed something liquid, just avoid it. Don't take liquids. Um, in your carry-on uh, bag. I would also say limit the number of electronics uh, that you take with you. Um, in this last trip, I had my personal laptop, I had my work laptop, and then I had an iPad. Um, and at every security checkpoint, those things had to come out. You will have to take off your belt, your watch, you know, all of those things. So uh, just know that the, the airport is one of those places where Melissa said it early, pack your patients. You are going to need it at the airport. And then lastly, I would say is that if you're looking at London airports, uh, London Heathrow is the main airport. London Stansted is not near London. <laughs> so uh, don't be planning to fly into Stansted. Flights go there but they're not going to put you anywhere. It's not going to put you anywhere near London. And then you've got to either take the train or a bus or a really expensive taxi uh, to get back into London. So, you know, one of the things um, that we said we would always do with destinations is we would come to Melissa and say, Melissa, what are the things that you need to pack when going to London? So don't bring a big suitcase. 
even if you're going to check your bag going over, it's just even to get to, let's say, to Paddington Station or to get to the cab or to get, just make sure that everything is very easily manageable um, for you to be able to carry that around. So like a medium size roller bag, a backpack that's comfortable that you could then tuck like a, a crossbody in. So just not a lot because you, you may have to lift those for a few steps. That's right. Um, we had to carry up a few steps even to get from the Heathrow Express to where the taxis were. We had to carry a few and there's lifts most places. Um, but it, the, the but more manageable, yeah, I and the more manageable that those things are. So that would be my first tip is just to have everything where you, can tote all your all your things um so definitely layers so i did jeans leggings this time um a shirt with it was sweaters mostly this time it'd be hotter in the summer but you definitely want to have layers because the weather can change quickly it can be cloudy it can be windy um so you want to have like some short sleeves and then something where you could have um something warmer and then a jacket so you definitely want to bring a rain jacket with you comfortable shoes possibly also comfortable waterproof shoes because it does rain a lot. So having that as an option, um, you may want to pack an umbrella. We have found that they have them in the closets at the hotels that then you could take out. So it just depends if you have a packable umbrella you could take. And then as far as carrying things with you of small backpack, um, I like to have a crossbody um, with me just so going from the airport, you've got your passport, you have your phone right there, but then just going in and out of the train station and different things like that, you can have those things easily accessible. And you don't want to carry like large backpacks into museums. And um, they do obviously have a lot of security at, um, you know, even at all the sites just to keep everybody safe. And so you don't want to have a lot of large backpacks that you have to um to worry with. And I know that Scott would recommend that you bring your camera. So of course, you know, bring in your phone camera, but if you're into photography and you like to take pictures, there's just so many awesome things to take pictures of. So yeah, if you, if you like taking pictures of landscape or nature or buildings and architecture, um, this is a, a great place for you to bring your camera and really get some good photos that you'll enjoy having. I even ran across some pelicans in St. James Park. Pink pelicans. Pink pelicans. Yeah. And living here at the beach, we don't see pink pelicans. No. That's was something new. Um, if she hadn't have shown me the picture, I would have thought she was talking about flamingos, but she really was talking about pelicans. And he asked me, was I at the zoo? <laughs> yes. We'll put some links in the show notes where you can learn more about London tours and some places to stay. If you're a history buff, this is your place. If you're a foodie, this is your place. If you love shopping, bring your credit card and extra bags. This is your place. No matter what your interest, London has it all for you. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will find some inspiration for your next trip or perhaps this is something that you want to add to your bucket list. Most importantly, subscribe or follow our podcast and share it with your friends to help them catch the travel bug. You never know, they may become your greatest travel companion.